This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Speaking of Asia podcast by The Straits Times. This is Ravi Velour, and I'm an associate editor and Asia columnist for the paper. This series of podcasts focuses on issues relevant to Asia and distills experience from four decades of covering the Asian continent. Last month, I spoke with the eminent climatologist Ram Ramanathan of the University of California at San Diego for the first Speaking of Asia podcast of 2022. In this second episode for the year, which is being recorded on the 3rd of February, I intend to discuss something of critical importance to Asia that is caused in part by climate change, and that is the steady opening of the Arctic route to transcontinental shipping between Europe and Asia, which is made possible because of the steady melting of the Arctic ice, and that comes thanks to climate change. Depending on which part of Asia you're in, the Arctic route could potentially cut transit time for cargo by quite a lot. Northeast Asian nations like China, Japan, and South Korea could benefit quite a bit. Current traffic on the route is not much, although it is rising. Last year, about 36 million tons of cargo passed through the Arctic, or Northern Sea Route as it is sometimes called. That compares with nearly 600 million tons of sea cargo handled by Singapore alone. Besides, a lot of the cargo shipped through the NSR was natural gas shipped from Russia. But Russia, China, and some other countries are building giant icebreakers, and this could mean the route could be open to navigation throughout the year. That is going to have major implications for the shipping industry worldwide. To discuss the Arctic route and what it implies, especially for the energy business, I have with me Vitali Yermakar, who is Senior Research Fellow at the Oxford Institute of Energy Studies. Welcome to the Speaking of Asia podcast, Vitali. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, it was a pleasant surprise to get invited. Thanks. Vitali, I understand you're in Moscow as we speak. And that is entirely appropriate for this discussion. Could you tell me, why is Russia so keen on the Northern Sea Route, or the NSR, as it is also called? Well, yes, I think this discussion is, is relevant. What makes it so is, first of all, of course, the change in the global climate that probably will uh, make the navigation through the Arctic seas possible for the ships in the future. And this means that Europe and Asia could be connected via a shortcut, really, uh, a shortcut that saves a lot of travel time and uh, means significant uh, savings for the ships going both ways. Uh, for Russia, of course, the Northern Sea Route, which is uh, the official uh, name for part of this passage between Europe and Asia, has been a state priority for many years. But originally, it was really designed to supply Russian Northern Territories because these were uh, not accessible by any other way. It's, it's really very, very far away, very cold, and uh, the Sea Route was most appropriate to supply uh, Russian Arctic stations on the coast and uh, some Russian cities, which were primarily in the Soviet times uh, dealing with mining and coal. And uh, in this sense, sort of this Russia's expansion to the Arctic in the 1930s, it was very similar to going into space in the 1960s. I mean, at the time, the Arctic explorers were treated pretty much like astronauts. 
uh, they were celebrities. And uh, the whole country was extremely proud about going into the Arctic. Since then, of course, uh, many things changed. And now the state priority is focused on developing the tremendous uh, oil and gas resources that are in the Russian Arctic. And the Northern Sea Route is seen as a way to transport uh, oil and gas from Russia, gas, of course, in the form of LNG, economically, and to reach target markets and to diversify uh, Russia's uh, hydrocarbons exports. So in terms of economic priorities, now the focus is really on uh, developing the hydrocarbons in the Arctic and uh, developing the northern uh, sea route as uh, a transportation artery, an Arctic shortcut that would facilitate this development. Thank you for that, uh, Vitaly. From uh, sitting in Singapore, when you look at the map, it looks like a brilliant idea to cut through the Arctic and come down to Asia from Europe. But all said and done, what are the realistic possibilities for the NSR to develop into something like a major trade artery towards Asia? Well, this is a long shot, and uh, the Northern Sea Route is not going to become an alternative to Suez uh, anytime soon. But over time, uh, the transportation turnover will grow. And you mentioned in the beginning of our talk that uh, basically that, that transportation turnover in Singapore alone dwarfs the volumes that currently travel through the Northern Sea Route, and for a good reason. It's, it's still uh, the Arctic seas, the navigation is extremely difficult, and even though uh, sort of the travel time could be reduced, but there are significant risks involved. And if a ship uh, gets stuck in, in the ice, and uh, it may take very significant time just to, to, to be saved and uh, with the use of icebreakers, and then the costs could uh, really go through the roof. And in this sense, uh, sort of, it's it's still a very risky endeavor. And uh, Russia is trying to increase its capabilities in uh, nuclear icebreakers and also in building the fleet of dedicated ice-resistant oil and gas tankers. But, uh, I mean, this is going to take time until uh, the volumes ramp up. I understand that uh, several countries, I mean, Russia, of course, being the major one, and even China, they're building icebreakers that can cut through four meters of ice. And that could potentially open up a lot of possibilities. Uh, would you agree, Vitaly? Well, at the moment, Russia is the only Arctic nation or any nation uh, that has a fleet of nuclear icebreakers. No other nation in the world has nuclear icebreakers. Currently, there are six on active duty. Three are uh, relatively old and three are very modern. And Russia is planning to expand this uh, fleet uh, because the older ones will have to be retired uh, in, in the few coming years. Well, other countries do have diesel-powered icebreakers, but they, of course, do not have uh, the same amount of power, or they would not be able to travel in, in, in the Arctic for so long as the nuclear icebreakers, because those are really don't have any uh, time limit on the operational cycle. So uh, Russia, of course, is, is, uh, is an undisputed leader here. But uh, yes, I think other nations also are investing into increasing their icebreakers' capabilities. And other Arctic nations, of course, include the eight uh, Arctic states that form the core of the organization called the Arctic Council. These are Russia, Canada, the United States, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, Finland, and Sweden. But many other nations, including Asian countries, China, Singapore, Korea, they are very much interested in the Arctic, simply because it's, it's, a, it's a possibility to uh, deliver goods, to cut time on travel between uh, Europe and Asia. 
And uh, uh, these nations, they are observers, the Arctic Council, and sort of try to track down the developments and at least be aware of what is going on. Vitaly, you're an uh, expert in the field of energy. And I understand that uh, Russia has a lot of gas uh, that's waiting to be exploited and uh, exported. Now, how did this come about? And what are the implications for the energy industry if the Russian oil and gas supplies could be shipped to Asia through the Arctic route? Well, uh, Russia has tremendous reserves of oil and gas, and uh, the reserves that are landlocked deep in the mainland, uh, they have been traditionally exported to the foreign markets in uh, Europe and in Asia via uh, pipelines for both oil and gas. And these pipelines, they run for three, uh, 4,000 kilometers just within the Russian territory to reach uh, the borders. And then of course, they go into Europe, or now we have uh, both oil and gas pipelines that lead to China from Western Siberia. Uh, however, in addition to uh, those oil and gas reserves, there are deposits that are located very close to the shoreline and uh, much farther north in the Arctic. And for those, uh, it makes perfect sense to uh, be developed and this production to be transported via the ships, via uh, large oil tankers and LNG carriers. But for this to happen, obviously, we are talking about these Arctic seas, uh, the Northern Sea Route, and all the necessary infrastructure should be developed, icebreakers should be available to help. And uh, the ships themselves, the vessels uh, that are going to work as oil tankers and LNG carriers, they must have Arctic class, so-called ARC-7, for example, or ARC-6. Uh, this makes them uh, ice resistant, capable of navigating through relatively thick ice. For example, uh, current LNG carriers that uh, ship Russian LNG from Yamal to Asia, uh, they are capable of navigating through ice of two meter thick. But the caveat is that, of course, the travel speed is greatly reduced, whereas the normal speed would be like 19 knots in, in clear water. Uh, when they have to cut through ice, the, the travel speed goes down to uh, 6 knots. And this, of course, uh, immediately is translated in, uh, into longer travel times. And therefore, icebreakers are important because they essentially they could open up the channel for the travel and uh, they help increase the overall travel speed for, for, for the cargo vessels. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Could you give me a sense of the geopolitics at play here? I understand that China has declared itself a near-Arctic state although it is several hundred miles away from the route. Who else is in the game aside from Russia and China? Well, I think you are right. Geopolitics is a major factor. We talked about the economic priorities for developing the Northern Sea Route for Russia, but the geopolitical priority is also present, and uh, it's very clear. This route, unlike other marine routes to Asia, to China in particular, is uh, controlled by Russia. Basically, it, it, it goes along the Russian coastline within uh, Russia's uh, exclusive economic zone. Russia introduces special rules for traveling through this area in accordance with the UN Convention. Russia basically can do that because under, under the rules that govern the safety of navigation and the Arctic seas and uh, the, the, uh, the protection of uh, the environment in these areas, 
And uh, the rules require prior notification for any ship that wants to pass through the Northern Sea route. And also those ships, uh, foreign ships, must be accompanied by nuclear icebreakers, and for which Russia charges fees, which might be quite heavy. And also Russia requires that pilot the piloting services be performed by uh, the Russian pilots because basically they know how to navigate those waters and uh, these are pretty shallow, uh, so which introduces uh, real risks for, for, for the ships because just in shell and relatively shallow waters, large ships, uh, they can always get stuck. This, uh, of course, is a big risk. Speaking of geopolitics, obviously, if Russia can ensure the navigation along the Northern Sea Route, which cannot be interrupted by any other nation, this is uh, really a good bargaining chip in talks with China, for example, because in the world of growing uh, global rivalries, well, we always hear about sanctions and blockade and possibility that trading routes could be interrupted. And so, I mean, uh, frankly speaking, I mean, Russia and China are obviously discussing a scenario in which, for example, the U.S. would want to put some pressure on China by introducing a marine blockade. Uh, well, in this case, Russia could be uh, an important supplier that can deliver goods and resources to China via the Northern Sea Route, we, where uh, the U.S. Navy cannot uh, interrupt those deliveries. So, I mean, uh, that's that's I think that's a big asset or a bargaining chip that uh, Russia could offer to China in the current and future talks about how the global order uh, is going to be shaped. Interesting. I suppose when you said that Russia is framing the rules, I think the possibly you're saying Article 234 of the uh, UNCLOS, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, uh, Vitaly? Yeah, yeah. I have a final question for you, Vitaly. The opening of the Arctic route could have implications for Asian port cities such as Singapore and uh, Colombo in Sri Lanka. Are there potential opportunities that could be exploited from this and what would they be? Well, uh, let's let's uh, talk in practical terms. The travel time through the Northern Sea Route from Europe to Asia, for example, to China, for modern ships is about three weeks from Rotterdam sort of to, to China's ports. And uh, uh, recent shipments to China by large LNG carriers from uh, Novatex Yamal project, which is like two thirds of the way, have taken about two weeks recently. The, the passage through the Northern Sea Route, which is just really sort of that uh, portion of the route which is covered with ice, takes 11, 12 days. So it's clear that compared with the travel via the Suez and around India, which takes about five weeks on average, uh, this, this is a very significant time savings. But as I said earlier, for now, this route is not being used for extensively for transit by the shippers, by global shipping companies. Uh, there have been some testing of, of the route, if I can use this word. Uh, really, I think the global shipping companies, they uh, weight the risks uh, against the opportunity. And for now, they are not yet ready to commit large transit shipments of cargo via the Northern Sea Route. For the near future, it will be mostly Russian oil and gas, uh, Russian LNG and condensate and oil that are going to take the lion's share of the overall transportation turnover via the Northern Sea Route. But in the future, especially if Russia indeed expands its nuclear icebreakers capabilities, uh, develops uh, these uh, more, even more mightier icebreakers, which could ensure year-round navigation 
through the Northern Sea Route? Well, it definitely would be a, a good possibility to cut the travel time. So let's keep our fingers crossed and uh, in the future we might see uh, a lot of shipments from Europe to Asia and the other way around via the Northern Sea Route. Well, that interesting route, uh, Vitaly Yermakov. Let me thank you very much for coming on Speaking of Asia. Well, you are most welcome. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.